Hi, everybody. Good morning. My name is Pastor Ed Mejia. I am the church planting resident here at Living Hope Church, and I am just really glad to be with you this morning. I want to do two things before we jump right into the text. The first thing is there was a little bit of a change up in the plans. Uh, You know, uh, Tim and Karen, you know, they're not here this morning because, you know, someone in their family tested positive. Thankfully, everyone is doing well, but they wanted to play it safe, you know. And since I was supposed to preach next week, you know, the elders thought it would be a good idea just to swap weeks. Let's just switch weeks. And then Tim will come next week and he will wrap up chapter two. But for those who are like perfectionists and are like, man, but this is out of order, I promise it's all going to make sense. It's going to flow. It's going to be all right. Amen. (laughs) That's the first thing. The second thing is that today is my wife's birthday. And unfortunately, she couldn't be here today, but thank you. Thank you, honey. I see you. I love you. Happy birthday. Um, yeah, she's such a blessing. We had a good time yesterday um, hanging out and got so many good things coming up today. So today we are in First Thessalonians. We're continuing our series in, in faith in the gospel. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open up to First Thessalonians chapter 2? We're going to start at verse 17. And while you're getting there, so my my son uh, Elijah, uh, when he comes out of school, um, he 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 tells my wife, "Hey, mom, can I go hang out with dad at his office?" Like he gets out of school a little earlier than I do, and so my wife will text me when she's on the way home from picking them up, and she's like, "Hey, the kids want to come over. They want to just hang out in the office. Is that okay? Can they do homework?" And then you send them home. I'm like, "Yeah, for sure." And so I don't get out to work till like five. So they're still seeing me work while they're hanging out and doing homework with me, right? And so calls would come in and I would help customers. I'm in property management. So I'm like constantly on the phone with residents and all this other stuff. And, and so I pick up the call and I answer, right? And I'm like, you know, good afternoon. Um, thank you for calling Windsor Court. My name is Ed. How could I help you? And I saw this look on Elijah's face like, at, at the way I was talking on the phone. So I hang up the phone after helping the customer, and Elijah's like, Dad, why would you talk like that when you pick up the phone? And I'm like, what do you mean, why do I talk like that? You know, i got to be professional. You know, in, in his mind, he needed a context for my voice. Because he's like, you don't talk to mom that way, right? Like, you, you're like, hey, boo, hey, love, hey, honey. But on the phone, you're like very robotic, Dad. And I was like, whoa. And he, he needed to understand why I was using these words, why I was using this voice. And of course, we have that work voice, right? We have that customer service voice. You know the customer service voice. It's a little different from your normal tone with those you love, with your friends. And as we've been reading First Thessalonians, I kind of had the same question with Paul. Paul, why are you using this kind of tone, these words, with the Thessalonians. Like, like, like I don't know about you. I, we've seen Paul, if, if you're familiar with his letters, he is very much affectionate and encouraging. But it seems to me like he's being really, really affectionate to the people in Thessalonica. Wouldn't you say so? Part of the reason is Paul receives this report from Timothy about the state of the faith of the Thessalonians after being separated from them. I just, I just want to recap what we've, what we've learned so far. They, they were separated through persecution and trial, and Paul's like, hey, I want to see how, how they're doing. So Timothy is sent to them, and Timothy comes back with the report, and, and Paul is encouraged by what he hears. First, you know, we see that all through chapter 1 and chapter 2. He's encouraged by the fact that they're still standing strong in the faith as new converts amidst so much opposition. 
And we heard in the last two weeks how Paul's concern was like like a mother in some ways. And in other ways, it was very fatherly to them. And I mean, any parent can understand the feeling of wanting to be with their children, especially if they still haven't fully grown up yet. If, if they still haven't figured out certain things, we, we want to be there with our kids. And, and these Thessalonians are, are still growing in their faith. And time and distance can, can present some challenges. Paul recognizes this. And, and this is part of the reason why, why he uses this tone. He wants to close this gap between time and distance. It's true that sometimes being apart from people can kind of make relationships grow cold. I mean, we've had friends in junior high school and high school, even in our neighborhood that we probably haven't hung out with in years. Relationships just change sometimes, right? But then there's some, some of those relationships that don't. That no matter how much time you've spent apart, you can always pick up right where you left off. There's some bonds that distance can't break. Friendships that are so strong that no matter how long it's been or how far they live, every time you reconnect, you could pick up exactly where you left off. And some say that distance makes the the heart grow fonder, right? That it's when you're apart that someone, you know, that you realize how much you love and miss them. And this is part of the reason Paul is speaking like this. In the following verses we're about to read, he wants to pick up with the Thessalonians right where they left off. See, today I want to talk to us about glory and faith. I mean, glory and joy in the faith of others. See, for Paul, the Thessalonians were just some people he, weren't just some people he ministered to. Like they weren't some project. It wasn't just this thing he was just doing. No, he really cared about them. He, he didn't forget about them. He loved them dearly. The state of their faith mattered to him. In fact, he found glory and joy in the faith of the Thessalonians. And as we impact this section this morning, I want us to see how you and I can also find glory and joy in the faith of loved ones. So let's read verses 17 through 20. Paul says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory Enjoy. Paul starts this section by describing this time of separation as being torn away from them. This image of being torn away, Paul's communicating, this was out of his control. In fact, the, the Greek verb in this text literally means to be orphaned. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce the word. <laughs> but but the, the way he describes to be torn away, he uses this, this Greek word. He uses this one time in the New Testament and it's this time. And it's basically the sense of to be orphaned. To Paul, it was as though his family was being torn apart when he left them. And though he had left them physically, he affirms the brothers and the sisters that they were still in his heart. For Paul, it was not out of sight, out of mind. For him, it was out of sight, but firm in my heart. He says, we endeavored the more eagerly to see you. Meaning for Paul, the more time he spent apart from them actually created a greater desire to be with them. He desired to see them face to face. Paul wanted FaceTime. And I'm not talking about like 
iPhone FaceTime. He wanted face-to-face time. And the truth is, we need this. I'm grateful for technology. I mean, it's been a blessing, especially in the middle of this pandemic and all this stuff, for sure. But there's nothing like being face-to-face with the one you love. I don't think sometimes, especially in our culture today, I don't think we're all aware of how much we need this. We're, we're wired for this. I mean, before, think about this for a second. Before sin entered the world, God saw Adam alone and said, it is not good for man to be alone. In our design, in the way he created us in his image, the, the, the fact is that God created us to, to, to come together. Being together is God's good design for us to flourish and to thrive. Being face-to-face also, this language Paul's using of being face-to-face is a picture of transparency and honesty. It's hard to hide how you feel when you're in person. Sometimes it's hard to even talk with people through text, right? Because you don't know how they sound. <laughs> you know? You don't, you don't know what tone they're using, right? But being face-to-face presents all this transparency. You get to see it firsthand. If, if something doesn't sound right, sometimes some of you guys can't even hide your face. You know it's true. You got this face that just reacts. You just respond. It just it shows in your body language what you think and feel at the moment. This, this picture of being face-to-face is a matter of knowing that in the gospel, we are safe to be honest and real about where we are and how we feel. Paul wanted to be face-to-face with them. And we need that too. Being face-to-face with those we love is a necessary component to growing in Christ and standing firm amidst opposition. See, check this out. Paul could have heard this report from Timothy and said, hey, the Thessalonians are doing great. You know what? Let's just encourage that. Hey, guys, keep up the great work. Love, Paul. No. Paul said, no, guys, I've been wanting to get to you. I want to be with you. I want to be face to face with you. I'm I'm wanting to be around you. And and I I genuinely believe that his eagerness is is, is demonstrating that for Paul, he, he knew the importance of how being together would help them grow. He knew how necessary this is to the Christian life. See, for Paul, he found glory and joy in their faith. He found glory and joy in the faith of his loved ones. And and consider Paul's journey, right? How the Lord radically saved him. He's face to face with the Lord. And the first thing the Lord tells him after he blinds him is, go meet Ananias. Go to someone. Get face to face with him. So much growth happened in that moment. And Paul, if you look at his journey, his growth from that moment on, there was always someone with him. He had Barnabas and then he had Silas and and he became a part of the community of, of, of God. And he just knew you can't do this alone. Paul needed others the entire way in church. You and I do too. And in verse 18, Paul tells the Thessalonians what prevented him from getting to them. Let's read verse 18. He says, I wanted to come to you. We wanted to come to you, excuse me. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Here we see Paul continues to prove his longing for them. He's expressing this out like I wanted to come to you. I mean, we wanted to be there, but me specifically, I myself, Paul, wanted to be with you. 
But Satan hindered us. He says, you know, some, some people thought that when he says Satan hindered us, it was pointing to like maybe civil officials who were kind of causing issues with getting in or, or maybe the local Jews getting in the way of Paul returning. But I don't think that would have stopped them. If you know Paul well enough, they, they left him beat up for dead. And he went back into that city. Paul got beat up, taking the gospel somewhere, left for dead, gets back up and goes right back into the city. I don't think that would have been enough to stop him from getting back to Thessalonica, right? Civil officials and just pushback from the local Jews. No, some some scholars think it's possible that Paul's referring to an illness, right? Like in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he, he calls the thorn on his side a messenger from Satan. But but his use of us, this plural, I don't think he was referring to illness necessarily. Because he doesn't mention anyone else being ill. Church, we cannot deny that there is a real devil in this world. He's actively opposing God's people. He's working to hinder gospel-centered community. At times, Satan hinders God's work through through other means as well. Like he 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 uses people to oppose the gospel, or or illness, or or difficult circumstances. Sometimes even our own sin. And and, and if I be honest with you, as I was reading this, it felt so real to me. When I look at our culture right now, I feel like there's no question in my mind that Satan is our, at work in our culture. I mean, when you look at division, think about it. For the last few years, it just seems like there's something new to divide about every single year. A few years ago it was Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. Then it's, we're talking about other racial divides. And then it's politics. And did you vote for this one or for that one? And now it's, do you have a mask? Do you not have a mask? Do you have a vaccine? Or do you not have the vaccine? Do you have faith or do you not have faith? Like, are, are you, are, like, it, there's always something to fight about this religious infighting. And look, I'm not saying that our sin doesn't play a role in all this. I'm not saying that. But we must not overlook the fact that Satan is out to hinder us. That Satan is out to stop you from hearing the gospel from people you love. That he's out to stop you from sharing the gospel with people you love. Satan is a constant enemy to the work of God. We must be aware of our true enemy, right? Ephesians 6, 12 says this, that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Church, if we fight, we ought to fight for unity, right? If we fight, we ought to fight for love. We, we ought to press on in the gospel, and, and I mean, I get excited when I think about this because Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevent, prevail against him. I, I, I got to preach this like I feel this because think about this. Considering the amount of effort that the enemy is putting forth, it's clear that he knows the value of the church coming together. Because when the people of God come together, When we center around the gospel of Jesus Christ, lives are changed, faith is strengthened, the lost are found, the broken are healed, the orphan finds a home, the dead is raised to life. When we come around the gospel, when we get together, we get to experience the power of God. Here's my point. 
fighting for gospel-centered community is worth it, even though the enemy's trying to hinder us. See, he knows, he knows that we can find glory and joy in the faith of others. And see, he's trying to steal our glory and kill our joy by tearing us apart. Verse 19, Paul tells that Thessalonians something pretty amazing. Read with me. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul here expresses what the Thessalonians personally mean to him. On the day he meets the Lord, he says, his crown will be them. And that's this image of like, considered like an athlete who crossed the finish line and they throw like this victor's, this champion wreath over him. It's like this, this, you won, you're in, this is what they represent, right? It's like a reward for an athletic competition. I mean, can you see or even feel the eternal value of gospel relationships? Because that's what I see in Paul here. He doesn't just see that I'm with you now and I'm here. He's like, no, when we get there, when we're with Jesus, when the, the one who we've been waiting for finally arrives, you'll be there with me too. His eyes are there. He is it, it, like, it, it's it, to me, it's almost amazing to think of, man, do I see gospel relationships that way? Do I see the eternal value of it? Because I got to tell you, there's some times I don't want to necessarily go to life group. But it's not just the life group. It's not just a class. It's not just a Sunday gathering. I pray that God expands our visions of, of, of what we see when we see us getting together. That we would feel the eternal weight and the value of being there for one another. See, our glory shouldn't come from our accomplishments. Our joy doesn't come from fulfilling our own desires. Our glory and joy comes from investing and serving others and seeing their faith grow. In the book of Philippians, Paul says something similar in Philippians 4.1. He says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I mean, think about what Paul is saying. When life is over and we stand in the presence of, of the Lord, you Thessalonians, you Living Hope Church, will be our source of glory and joy. You mean that much to us. You mean that much to us. Gospel affections are forever. That we think of brotherly affection in that way, eternal, joyful, glorious, how would that change how we deal with conflict with one another? Paul shared the gospel and gave his life to the Thessalonians. Who have you given yourself to? Your spouse, your kids, extended family, siblings in the church, friends, neighbors who need... I mean, think about this, like... Yesterday, we, we went uh, to the gun range. I took my wife to the gun range for her birthday. It was the first time she actually got to go to a gun range and, and shoot a gun. And she was just super happy. She was telling everybody it was her birthday. She was, like, super excited, right? And so, you know, we're getting our stuff ready. We get on our lane. And next to us are these two, two gentlemen and, and a younger boy. He was, like, maybe 9 or 10 years old. 
And as, you know, me and my wife are, are getting our shooting on, which, by the way, seeing her shoot a gun put the fear of God in me all over again, you know. Um, but, but check this out. The, 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 the brothers who were next to us in the lane next to us lean over. And he says, hey, I heard you say it was your birthday. I, I got some extra guns. Would you like to try those too? And he just starts giving us guns, man. And, and we were like, me and my wife was like, what is happening right now? Right? Like, and, and so she gets to try different guns. And, and of course, if, if, if you're familiar, you know, you pay for your own bullets, right? Like, so this dude is giving us guns and giving us his bullets to just go for it. And, and I just hear him say, I just love this stuff. He says, I love seeing somebody try this for the first time. And he just kept giving us more guns. And I was like, this guy really enjoys this. And then he starts sharing. His name is Derek. Pray for him. He, 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 uh, he starts sharing with us that, that, that his, his nephew, uh, had, had started climbing. They just started climbing. And that's something he's into too. And he shared the story with us how this little guy climbed a mountain. So his dad went up first. You know, the kid was in the middle. And then Derek was the last one climbing up. And he just shared how it was the first experience for, for the little one and how much joy it brought him. You can see the visible joy of him seeing someone experience for the first time something he loves. Brothers and sisters in Christ... You've been saved by grace. You've experienced the love of God in your life. I, I, I want to be like Derek in that sense. I want to see other people experience that too. And I want to rejoice in that experience. I want to rejoice in seeing somebody read the gospel for the first time and it smacked them right in the heart, right? I want to see somebody confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized. I want to be there because I, I, I know that experience. I would love to, and this is what Paul is talking about. He's like, listen, guys, like, I love God, and I believe his gospel, and I know the power of it, and I want to be there for your moments. I want to be there for that. I want to celebrate that with you. And I want to celebrate it not just then, I want to celebrate it when we're before our Lord. This is the heart. This is what's coming through. And when you share your faith, what you're genuinely doing is inviting others to come and experience and enjoy a love, a peace, a freedom, an adoption that you know very well. Go and be a Derek with the gospel. Go and share what you love. That they would experience it for themselves. Now one last thing to note in this verse here. He says, you are our glory and joy. Paul was talking about something that was going to happen in the future, right? When we stand before the Lord. But in this moment, he's saying, no, you are. Right now, you are our glory and joy. Meaning that not only will this happen when Christ returns, Paul isn't saying, listen, I'm excited about a future version of you. He didn't say that. Even now. You are our glory and our joy. It is this faith of those they love that stirs them to glorify God and causes them, the Thessalonians, causes Paul to rejoice. Now I'm sure, after hearing Paul say all this, that the Thessalonians at this point feel like they can feel Paul's heart coming through this letter. After expressing his longing to see them again, explaining the reason for the delay and reaffirming his affections for them, he finally shows them how he still tried to close the distance by sending Timothy. 
Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. He says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul, in the light of the fact that he couldn't be there physically, he couldn't be with them in person. He, he wanted to close that gap so bad that he would rather be alone and send an important member of his team over to them. When Paul couldn't take it anymore, he sends Timothy and he sends him for two specific reasons. The first reason we read was to establish or exhort them in their faith. Timothy's task was to strengthen them in their faith. To prevent them from being moved by the persecution and affliction they were facing. And the second reason he sends Timothy is because he wants to hear a report. He wants to hear back. He said, I sent to learn about your faith. Now, notice that Paul's description of Timothy is pretty specific. He says he's our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. I think this description is to emphasize that this gospel movement is not Paul's movement. It's, it's not his. It's, it belongs to Jesus And he has given church leaders to support the mission of making disciples. It's also possible that Paul was making this endorsement for Timothy, you know, because, well, he was younger, right? Paul called Timothy our brother, suggesting this equality in the Lord's work with Paul and Silas. In relation to the Lord, Timothy was a hardworking servant. He was zealous. He was humble. He was willing Here's the big idea here. Gospel ministry is a team sport. It's a team sport. No one man moves this thing forward. God sends us godly leaders to establish, to strengthen us and exhort us in our faith. But but as the people of God, right, we are a sent people. We too are God's co-workers in the gospel to help others be established in their faith. Much of the ministry of the apostles was devoted to, to grounding new converts in the faith. And that ministry right there, church, that ministry is something that, that we, we need. <laughs> they needed it then, we need it today. And, and, and we were talking, yesterday we were in the cohort for, for Acts 29 and we were speaking on the topic of discipleship. And one of the things that came up is like, look, there are specific requirements to being an elder and a deacon, you know, being a leader in the church. That's list that we, we got that in the word. But to make disciples, the requirement to make a disciples is to be a disciple. That's, that's for all of us. Establishing someone in the faith is something we are all called to do. To help people become strong in their confidence in the gospel. That's something for all of us. There's a place for you. And finally, we see Paul open up about his deeper fear or concern for the Thessalonians. 
See, because the Thessalonians were his glory and joy, he had concerns for their well-being. First fear he had was that he feared that the suffering and affliction would be too much for them to handle. That they would get crushed under it. The other thing he was concerned about was that Satan would have taken advantage of this suffering, taken advantage of all this, and lure them away from the truth. But Paul reminded them that these afflictions were to be expected. And, and, and I really think he did that for a couple reasons. Because Paul wanted them to know that the trials are not necessarily a sign that God's not favoring you. That, that you did something that displeased God. That your suffering is the cause of something you did. You made God angry and now look, your life is falling apart. When trouble comes, sometimes we as Christians often react by doubting that we are where God wants us to be. We often think that, that we've done something wrong and that God's just displeased with us. But that's not the truth at all. Our standing with God is not in our performance. It's in Christ. And you are always in his favor. All things work together. For the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? And even us as mature Christians, right? We, we can react this way too. And I love that the Bible doesn't like hide this from us, right? Because a few years later, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He tells him, listen, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Even Timothy needed reminded of this. This is a part of Christian living. This is, this is a part of what the Christian life is, is about. And yet, we, we sometimes are knocked out. And, 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 and let me give you this analogy from, I'm a big boxing fan, right? And in boxing, they teach you, of course, some offense and some defense. Offense is throwing punches, defense is not getting hit, right? And so, the idea of defense is, they'll teach you how to slip, means you're moving over, how to dodge punches, how to block punches, all this stuff. But one of the things they also teach you is how to roll with the punch. In boxing, the worst punch is the one you don't see. And so part of rolling with the punch is anticipating that the punch is coming. And if the punch is coming in this direction to knock you out that way, rolling with it means going with the momentum. What that does for you is that it avoids serious damage, Number one, and it softens the actual impact. Paul, in reminding them that, hey, suffering will be a part of our lives, is trying to teach them how to roll with the punch. It's not that the punch won't come, but when you're prepared for it, it won't knock you out. And this is the idea that we need to remind ourselves that, that, that God has given us a community, that God has given us his gospel, that God has laid it out, laid out the truth before us that we live in a broken world, that we have a real enemy to help us to roll with the punch and not get knocked out by it. And so Paul, towards the end of this, he returns to his original thought. He explained that he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica because he was genuinely concerned for their spiritual welfare. He was, he was concerned with the condition of their faith and that burdened his heart. His question was, are they still trusting in God or had they abandoned him and returned to paganism? Paul was concerned that they had lost their salvation. I mean, excuse me, he wasn't concerned that they had lost their salvation. Let me rephrase that. Sorry about that. 
He wasn't worried about them losing their salvation. He was concerned that they would cease to walk by faith. That he wouldn't that they wouldn't trust God in all circumstances of life. Paul's other concern too was that his labor might be in vain. Not their faith, but his labor. And he, and he references Satan as the tempter, right? He's mindful of Satan's activity in the Garden of Eden. That the lies that come into our ears when we're going through difficult times. Does God really love you? Does God really care? He was concerned that Satan would approach them that way. That, that, that Satan would approach uh, uh, the, the Thessalonians like, the, like Satan approached Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Where he's vulnerable, hungry, and tired, and 40 days of fasting. And in, in, and in that moment, that's when the enemy comes. And he says, if you're really the son of God, taking advantage of the situation. He was concerned that Satan would use the persecution they were going through to turn them away from what they knew to be God's will. God wanted them to persevere in the midst of trial by faith. Paul's concerned that, that Satan would snatch the seed. You know what's crazy? As I was reading this, I was thinking back about, like, you know, the, the parable of the sower. It seems like that was kind of like in Paul's mind. Like, hey, man, could it be that Satan is out here trying to immediately come and take away the word of God that I've sown by all the things that they're facing? See, he loved the Thessalonians. They were his glory and joy. And so he sends Timothy to encourage them in the faith, to build them up so that they wouldn't be moved from the hope of Christ. In other words, what Paul was trying to do with Timothy was to help them grow deeper and deeper roots. The truth is we can't stand alone against affliction. I'm, I'm going to say it again. We can't stand alone against affliction. A year ago, when, when COVID was like really like at its like, but it blew up, I think, in March. Um, it ran through my house, man. And it really put a beating on us. I had to take my wife to the hospital twice. Um, my mother-in-law was living with us. She got it. So she had it for 10 days. My wife had it for 10 days. And then I was the last one that got hit with it. So it was like a month of dealing with this in our house. It was rough. But I got to tell you. Even though we couldn't embrace anyone at our church, it was 30 days of food and supplies outside every day. When I took my wife to the hospital, when we called the ambulance to come and pick them up, I mean, I called my mom and she just cried and prayed with me and said, son, we're going to believe God. I could not have endured that. We could not have endured that had it not been for the people of God. To help us, to strengthen us, to keep us. I mean, I remember it. I remember. I remember I was on the phone and I was like telling my mom, Mom, like, I feel like God, like, what's up, man? Like, what's going on? Like, it was, it was such an interesting thing. I could be honest about where I was and she could hear the pain and she could hear the affliction and she can hear the, the struggle and she could say, son, that's, he's with you. He never left you. He'll never leave you. Never forsake you. What's my point? We need each other. We need each other to grow in our faith, to encourage the faith of one another. We need one another. 
And, and, and Paul's concern here for the faith of others uh, has me having to bring this question to you this morning. How's your faith today? How have trials and tribulations that you've been living through affected your life, your faith right now? Are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of, of comforts or other desires been choking out the word of God in you? Have the storms of life pulled up your roots? Have you noticed how Satan has been trying to hinder your faith? Have you been aware of how that's been at work? Have you seen how Satan has maybe tried to fill the distance between you and your spouse, fill the distance between you and your children, fill the distance between you and your loved ones? See, here's what we face, church. We face a culture that wants us to distrust everything and everyone. That's the message of the culture right now. Trust nothing and no one. The world believes the best way to stay safe is to distance yourself from others or attack others that don't agree with you. But the Bible calls us to put our trust in Jesus and to love one another. That's our command. That's what he told us to do. But how can we love and trust others when they've caused so much pain and suffering? How do we love and forgive others who have offended and hurt us deeply? Well, you start by trusting the one who stepped into our pain. The one who, who was also tempted by Satan in his most vulnerable time and overcame temptation on our behalf. Jesus, he's the one who closed the distance between us and God. He even came close to us in our suffering. This is why he's infinitely worthy of our trust because he suffered and died in our place for our sins. And he rose to give you and I his righteousness. He rose to give us his very Holy Spirit. He rose to give us brothers and sisters in Christ that we too may stand firm in affliction. Why did Jesus do this for us? Because you and I are his glory and joy. I'm going to call the worship team up, if you wouldn't mind coming up. Listen, as, as we close, let me remind you of the words of our Lord in John 16, No matter what you're facing today, no matter what the affliction looks like, no matter what the stress, no matter what the battle looks like, no matter what the world may be throwing at you, no matter what you see happening in our society, no matter what you hear going on in your own heart and in your whole house, listen to me. This is the truth. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. See, Jesus trying to help us roll with the punch. But here's the knockout. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is our victor. Jesus is the one who has conquered and overcome the world. So I want to plead with you today to put your faith in the gospel, to rely on your brothers and sisters, to keep you standing in the face of affliction. Because it's the gospel that grounds us in our afflictions and suffering. It's the gospel that gives us the power to stand in the here and now, but it's also the gospel that will lead us into eternity with glory and with joy. Would you stand with me this morning?
just want to pray and we'll sing together. Father, you know the afflictions. You know the ways that Satan has been trying to use the things around us and even in us sometimes to hinder us from coming to a place where we can grow in our faith, trust you more, trust you deeply. Holy Spirit, would you teach us to roll with the punch? Would you teach us to stand together? Would you teach us to to share what we love with others, that we would see their joy grow, that we would see their faith grow? Father, you know the needs in this place, Father. I thank you that in the gospel we can be face to face and we don't have to fake it till we make it. We don't have to lie about where we are. We don't have to lie about our struggles, our tiredness, our exhaustion. We can come and find rest in you. And so for the next few moments, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill and touch and heal and strengthen and unite us as we look to you, Father. Thank you that in Christ you have made us your glory and your joy. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Sing with us.